your portion this morning. All that you need and more. Amen. God bless you. God bless each one of you. Amen. Brother Gustav, Sister Nat, nice to have you. Your daughter and son-in-law with us today. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord together. Do you love him? Amen. Brother Gustav, would you like to just come and greet the people here today? Bring greetings. Y'all get him a microphone there. Amen. God bless you. We'll let you take your seats. you. My English is not so good, but I like to greet you all in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I come from Germany. I'm there a pastor. And I bring you also the greetings from the believer there from Germany. And we are so happy to be in the house of the Lord. And we are so happy to be in his, together in his name. And we know because of that, he is here and we can can come into his presence so i wish you god bless you uh, the blessing of the lord and we also thank you for the ministry of brother tim and also for brother timothy we invited them last year on our convention in holland and it was a great blessing and so today we are here and we're happy to be with you thank you god bless you god bless you Amen. It's wonderful to have the bride of Jesus Christ around the world, people that you can associate with, and, and uh, God gives us friends, wonderful friends. Amen. We thank God for that. Thank you for coming today and being here with us in this service. It's a real honor to have you, not only uh, them, but each one of you that are here today. We welcome you today in the wonderful name of the Lord. Well, I, I'm just going to say it. I was just absolutely blown away out there when I uh, heard Joseph Cornejo sing. Amen. What a blessing. Amen. Amen. I've always thought he was a fine young man. I just didn't know he had talent to sing. Amen. But, um, you know, we... we I, we just marvel at the wonderful young, young people that this message produces. Amen. Amen. And to hear him sing that song, Well Done. It just so happened that a quote came my way today that um, I read early this morning. And it says, I've often wondered, I'd like to hear him when he stood and he stretched his arms that day and said, come unto me. All ye that labor and heavy laden. Now, that was past. But well done, my good and faithful servant, will be in the future. And I am living to hear that say. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And I tell you today, that's right. You know, to hurt him in the past is wonderful, but we want to hear him in the future. Amen. When he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. So thank you, young people, for that. It's a wonderful song today, and amen. Let's stand together as we read the word and um, look into the Lord today to minister to our hearts and provide for you every need that you would have. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, 
yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent from in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Amen. May God bless you as you're seated. Today, as we look here in this service, I'm going to be speaking to you on the renting of the veil. And um, we are also been speaking about the people of the book, have returned to the land of the book. And, um, and of course, it, it, it is there when um, the Jews are returning now to their homeland that one day the veil of tradition will be taken off of their eyes. And we know 2,000 years ago that the veil of the temple was rent in twain. But we also know that in this day there has been another renting of the veil. Where the veil of tradition has been taken away so we could see the unveiled Christ. As we have today the, the um, uh, veil of the mercy seat that is pulled back and showing the mercy seat. And I am glad to report today that the veil is rent. Amen. Now, if there is a veil between you and that mercy today, then it could be a veil of sin. It could be a veil of unbelief. It could be a veil of, of uh, traditions. But, if, but God has done his work to rent the veil. Amen. To bring it where that you can come into the very presence of God. Now, as Jesus became the true sacrifice and his life was given, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. The new covenant would begin showing that an approach to God had been made by the way of his death so that we could come into God's very presence. The whole purpose of Jesus coming was to bring us close to God or bring God close to us so that we could make an approach to God. Now, this God is a God so full of grace and mercy and that that again rings to be so true here in this last day, which we know is the bride age, where that he is, the mercy seat is completely unveiled and returning back to us the original atonement. So these are the things that we're going to be speaking about because this unveiling of God that has happened in our generation, it does not reveal an empty mercy seat but rather the high priest who is actively right now interceding on our behalf. Oh, I'm so glad we got somebody that is interceding for us. Now, this is what has returned us to a bright age, and that bright age is an apostolic age. The bright age is a time within Laodicea. It's also called bride time. Where that a bride under her messenger becomes the final voice to the final age. So the opening of the veil brings the mercy seat into plain view. Now the word mercy seat comes from a Hebrew word called kaporath. It means a mercy seat or a place of atonement. So when we think of the mercy seat, we're talking about a place of atonement. Now, it was a golden plate of perpetuation on which the high priest sprinkled the seat seven times on the day of atonement. 
And this symbolically reconciled Jehovah and his chosen people together. So this mercy seat constitutes the throne of God. So when we talk about the throne of God, we're talking about a mercy seat. We're talking about a throne of mercy, a throne of grace. Now, Brother Branham would tell us in the message, Thinking Man's Filter, he said, notice here it is, and when Israel, before they could come into fellowship, in worship, they had to first pass through the waters of separation. Justification by faith cometh hearing, hearing the word. Then they entered the congregation under those seven stripes. The blood to show that something died and went before them for their sin. They were separated by hearing the word, the waters of separation, and then entered into fellowship. Remember, here's the whole purpose of this mercy seat. What the whole purpose of Jesus coming was so that he could provide a way into the presence of God. Or that you yourself could have an intimate relationship with him. So the only place that God met man was behind that order. He wouldn't meet him any, uh, anywhere else. He had to come behind that order. God only met Israel in one place, and God only meets you today in one place, and that's in Jesus Christ. And he is the word, the waters of separation. And his blood was shed, notice this, for all seven church ages. Now, if we just stop and realize God has seven ages, represented by seven horns, seven messengers represented by seven eyes. So you see, there's not eight ages. There's not an additional age. There's not an age that's running in continuity along with Laodicea. But no, in Laodicea, God sends a prophet, a messenger to return us back to the bright age again. To the age where there is an elect lady, where it's bride time, where it's marriage time. Aren't you glad to be living in that marriage time? And his blood was shed for all seven church ages. So you see, there was a stripe of blood for every age. Now you only get in trouble when you get and try to go beyond the seventh age and say we are now living in another age because then you run out of blood. But as long as you keep this in continuity as the prophet of God taught it and we realize there are seven ages, seven horns, seven eyes, amen, seven, 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 God's sacred number, amen, word that he deals with the church, then we understand we got blood in this age. We got an atonement in this age. And because we got atonement, we got healing. We got miracles. We got signs. We got deliverance. We got the Holy Ghost. We got the power of God. Because why? We're under that blood. Amen. Now you can see by the type that as a high priest would sprinkle the blood seven times upon the altar, that God was showing there would be blood for all seven church ages. Now the temple would, um, would consist of three courts. The outer court, they entered in the most holy. In the Old Testament, the outer court was where the congregation dwelt. The priesthood could uh, approach into the inner court. But in the third court was the most holy 
and it was separated by a curtain or a veil. Now, only the high priest went in, and then only one time a year. No playing around in this place. Only the one who was appointed, called, set aside, separated, could go into there. He himself would have to go through rigorous ceremonial washings for purification and offering a sacrifice for himself and then bring the blood of the sacrifice along with an inc- with the incense. And he carried a basin of blood to, to, in order to sprinkle the blood seven times upon the altar. And then he would pour the remainder of the blood in front of the altar. Now, I want to just get something to you. You see, it's not less blood. It's more blood. And it's not, listen to me now, it's not less grace in this age. It's more grace in this age. It is not less mercy. It is more mercy. Amen. Now, in fact, the matter is, this message is what brings the mercy seat into view. Not an empty mercy seat. Not a godless mercy seat. But where there is a God enthroned on that mercy seat. To provide everything you need for redemption. And remember, even your body is a part of that redemption. So until your body is changed, he's still doing his redeeming work. Now, this veil in the temple, as, as we told you, was said to be 60 feet high. It was said to be four inches thick. And, and behind that veil was the mercy seat. Now, in that mercy seat was the tablets of stone and the pot of manna that never became stale. And there was also the rod of Aaron. Every one of these are rich in symbology. Now, this mercy seat or ark of the covenant held within it the tables of stone upon which the covenant was made. And and it had two cherubims with outstretched wings overshadowing and protecting and guarding the mercy seat. And then the Shekinah glory, that sacred light of the pillar of fire would hang above the mercy seat. I would like to show you it, it written in Hebrews 9 and 1 where it describes this. Then verily the first covenant also had also um, ordinances of divine servant service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. And after that, the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of holies, and which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak particularly. Now, so again, here, here it was that the, he describes what is there in the, in the mercy seat. Now, as the tabernacle was dedicated, and they got all of this together, got everything in place and dedicated it and anointed it and sprinkled the blood on it and everything that was done, 
The Bible tells you in Exodus 40 and 34, and said, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Hallelujah. Now, friends, this is a type of what happens to every real believer. Amen. When you become lost and dedicated and consecrated and surrendered to God. Amen. Then the cloud of glory comes to dwell in that tabernacle. Amen. So the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of congregation because the cloud abode their own. And the glory of the Lord filled that tabernacle. Oh, hallelujah. When the Holy Ghost moves and he begins to fill lives and hearts. Oh, my. Fills us with his presence. Fills that tabernacle changes you you can never be the same you're not an empty life you're not an empty person anymore but you are filled and charged and set aside for service amen now the same would happen of solomon's temple but let's just read of second kings 19 where that it tells us of hezekiah i want you to notice the scripture as it places as and hezekiah prayed before the lord and said oh lord god of israel which dwellest between the cherubims now so what you would see is like you see them there that light hanging right over the cherubims and the cherubims are covering the mercy seat amen remember Remember, these cherubims are not now keeping us away from the mercy seat. Amen. But God is sending angels, messengers, to try to get you to come in to the holiest of holies. Amen. Where that you can come into his presence. Where that you can enjoy the priesthood. Hallelujah. Because you have been consecrated, set aside, called, and ordained to be in his presence. Hallelujah. Now, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art to God, even thou alone of all kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made the heavens and the earth. It would also tell us in the book of Psalms, give ear, O shepherd of, of Israel. Thou leadest Joseph like a flock. Thou that dwellest between the, cherubim, the cherubims, shine forth. Oh, what words that is. The one that dwells between the cherubims, shine forth. I want to just bring it down to your tabernacle this morning. Amen. The one that lives within your life, shine forth. Amen. Let it shine forth in holiness. Let it shine forth in purity. Let it shine forth in the works of Christ. Amen. Notice, notice now, this Psalms 99 and 1 said, The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. Now, I'm trying to get you a point here. What this mercy seat is for. It is not just for the blood atonement. The blood atonement is to make a way there. To make an acceptance for you. But what the mercy seat was for, was for his throne. Now, and the throne on earth was only representing a throne in heaven. Is that right? 
Amen. Now, so the high priest would enter this holy place once a year for the purpose of atonement. But now this God, remember, in this form was unapproachable. Notice, notice the, the people were on the outside. There, then there was a select people called the priesthood that could come in where the golden candlesticks were and the showbread and the other articles, the brazen altar, and to do the work of the sacrifice. But only in this place, in the holiest of holies, only here could they come and that once a year. And that had to be a high priest set aside. Not just anybody could go in there. And, and remember, if he went in there any time for any reason other than for bringing that atonement, he died. This God was unapproachable by man because of sin, and so he had to be hidden behind a veil. Now, we're going to look here at the scripture in 1 Timothy 6.15, because remember, in this form, he's unapproachable, which is in his times, he will show who is the blessed and only potentate the King of glory and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach to. So now notice here, he dwells in the light which no man can approach. All right? Unto whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Now remember, even, even in its own sense, the pillar of fire is a veil. Amen. It's just a, it's a light that God makes itself visible behind. But the invisible God cannot be seen with human, human ability. Now, but I want you to notice in, in um, Hebrews 9.24. But Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands, which are the figure of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. So I want you to know this, this Christ now is going into the presence of God who no man dare approach. Amen. Amen. Who only one could do it. Who was the only lamb, the only one worthy. Nobody else could do it. And it goes into the presence of God that no one dare approach. Now, why is he going there? He's making an approach for me and you. Because without Christ and his blood, we have no approach to God. Amen. Now. So you see, this is where, where he says in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, for there is one God and one mediator. Now, word, that word mediator means one who intervenes for another. So we have one who intervenes for another, but the one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. So now ransom is what it was given in exchange for another as the price of his redemption. So he gave himself to exchange, amen, 
to pay for our price to make a way for us so he would leave the throne of glory and become a man in order to make a way for you to come into his presence. Now this is the whole thing that God did. So he gave himself a ransom for all. Now this is why Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. You see, our only approach to God is is with the man, Christ Jesus, who sits with the Father. Notice, look, look at Laodicea, our last age here, Revelation 3, 21. Here's the message to the last age. How many believes we're living in the last age? All right, now, so then to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in, what? My throne. Even as I overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. All right. So now, so we can, we see now he makes an approach. Even, even in our last age, he is still telling us he is sitting on the Father's throne, making a way of approach. Because the rapture cannot take place without redemption. Because your body is the final part of you that gets redeemed. And it ain't redeemed yet. So he tells us right here in this last age where he's sitting. Somebody with me now? This is where he sits. This is where he is today. This is, this is the mercy seat that Brother Branham uh, identified and, and would show us over and over of this Christ who is the seat of mercy. Now, so in, in uh, Revelation, I mean Hebrews 4, 14, seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. But we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne. Watch now. Unto the throne of what? Grace. Now I know people want to turn this into a judgment throne today. It's not a judgment throne yet. It's still a throne of grace. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Amen. Oh my. Here he now tells us he passed in the heavens so we would have an approach there. And that when we came, come on, it would not be a throne of, of judgment, but it would be a throne of grace. Every time you approach, like we were saying about Esther, when she goes into the presence of the king, he holds out the scepter. Amen. Amen. She finds favor. And every time you approach, he, you find favor. Ask me anything. What do you desire, darling? Amen. Just tell me. It's all yours. What is mine is yours. What's yours is mine. If it's in the word, you can have it. 
You say you need healing. You need reprieve from that old serpent that's been bothering you and tormenting you. I tell you, I'm here to get that Haman. Hallelujah. I'm getting to eradicate, to hang him on the very thing he thought about hanging you on. You find grace and help in the time of need. Now look, in the original atonement, the mercy seat is described as a throne of grace. It is a place where mercy is obtained and grace is found anytime we need help. And the message returns us to the original atonement where Jesus sits on the right hand of God, making intercession for us. So now, if we'll read from the Feast of the Trumpets, Brother Branham tells us that the Gentile bride is to have a prophet called Elias, Elijah. That is to call them out of traditions. The bride just the same as these prophets called Judaism, Jews out of Judaism to Christ, the atonement. And the Gentiles already knows the atonement. But it's to call the bride back to the original atonement. Amen. Now give me that, give me that scripture back before, we, before that. Let's just look at that again. Amen. So this is the original atonement. A throne of grace. And the prophet's message was to reveal or unveil to get the traditions off of this throne of grace where there could be a people get rapturing mercies in the last day. Because veils of tradition had kept us out of his presence. But the message comes to rip the veil to bring you into God's presence. Now, how long will he remain on the Father's throne? Give us that quote back. How long will he remain on the Father's throne? Until every name on the Lamb's book of life has been purged by blood. Let me just assure you, even as Moses wouldn't leave a hoof behind, Jesus ain't leaving one of us behind. Come on. I don't care how wayward your boy is. I don't care how wayward your girl is. Every name on that book of life. Hallelujah. The son of man. How many believe we're in the ministry of the son of man? The son of man comes to seek and save that which was lost. That's the ministry of the Son of Man, to find the lost. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, my, what a word that is. Amen. Stand up, Justin. Amen. Here's a young man. Just a few years ago when we had a prayer line here in the church, there he was out in sin. You remember the story? Amen. And and there his sister comes up in the prayer line and said, I want my brother saved. And there the Holy Spirit goes out right then, gets him out of bed, brings him to church in his pajamas, down to the altar. Amen. And he's never been the same since. Why? 
ministry of the Son of Man. The Son of Man comes to seek and to save that which was lost. That was somebody who went to the throne of grace and said, Jesus, the devil's got my brother. I want him back. And the word went forth. He couldn't get to church quick enough. Thank God he didn't just come to church. Thank God he didn't just come to an altar. Thank God he came to Christ. As long as we're in these bodies, we still need an atonement for sin. Because these bodies are sin. And they were given to us by the fall. But when, I, but when our body, oh that day I long for it. When our body ceases to groan. Amen. One morning maybe it'll be like this. You know Brother Brandon said some, some of you would be on your way to your pastor's house. Or some would be going here or there. It, you know, and it may be just another unusual day. But... Uh, another usual day that is so supernatural. And all of a sudden you see the dead in Christ. And all of a sudden every pain you ever felt. Every heartache you ever felt. Every tear you ever cried. Every sorrow you ever experienced. Will fade all away in that moment. And give way to the greatest joy you've ever known. And it's not that far away. When our body ceases to groan and our chains, that's when redemption's over for the Gentiles. You won't need any more redemption. Won't need no more forgiveness of sin. Won't need no more divine healing. You won't need no more atoning blood. It'll all be finished. But until then, we need... The atoning blood. Now, at that time, when, when he rises from the mercy seat, the throne of the Father, he comes to meet us in the air. And then after three and a half year of tribulation, he will take the throne of David to rule in the millennium with his queen. I don't want to miss it, do you? Amen. Now, the message reveals to us the original atonement that, that here in the last age, it shows us that he's still on the throne of mercy. And it's still the throne of grace. Now, let's go back to Revelation 3.21 now in our reading. Because again, as I said, this is spoken to our age. This is actually the reward of the overcomer. Those who overcome the lukewarm, cold, formal, powerless Laodicea will receive this reward. And that reward is the millennial reign. They will escape the tribulation to sit with him on his throne. So it says to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Somebody say my throne. Even as I overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. Say his throne. So now you notice that 
that um, that it it speaks now. It speaks of two thrones. It speaks of the Father's throne and the throne of Jesus. Now, let's just look at this for a moment because don't get confused and think, well, there's two lords or there's two gods. But it's where that Jesus, that God will reign on the earth in the man, Christ Jesus, for that thousand years as the second Adam to undo the curse that is upon the earth. Are you with me? Now, so... The throne of God, though, does not belong to a man. The throne of God is for spirit God. Now, man's throne is the earth. Jesus will reign as a man on the earth as son of David in the millennium. Right now, God reigns from his throne as a spirit as Jesus intercedes for the earth. Remember, it is, Brother Branham saw it in the vision with a ring of blood around it. Amen? Now that's, that's what keeps God from striking the earth with wrath. Is because there's a ring of blood around the earth. And Brother Branham said even now he saw himself, he, he saw himself that, that as a sinner that his sins would uh, that w- would cause Jesus to reel and, 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 and as he interceded, he would groan as his sins would strike Jesus. He saw this in the vision. Remember that? Remember he was condemning a woman that was, a, a woman that was over there drinking and uh, that grandma and he wanted to send her to hell and God pulled him aside and said, you know, let me show you something. Amen. And he shows the world turning and he sees that there is a, a ring of blood around the earth. And then he says that your sins cannot get through that ring into judgment. And he says, because the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sins. But if you do not accept the atonement power of that blood and you die, then you go beyond the blood. So it's only while you're alive that you can receive atonement. The moment you breathe your last breath, atonement's over. Amen. 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 So therefore, if you go beyond that, that blood, and he said, if you have done it without receiving Christ, he said, then you go to the judgment. Now, so there's a ring of blood. Remember this. Now, right now, God reigns from his throne as spirit, as Jesus intercedes for the earth with a ring of blood around it. Now, God will reign on the earth in the millennium through and in a man, Jesus Christ, which will be God incarnate. I'd like to show you a little quotation from trying to do God a service in 1965. God likened us to sheep and we must have a leader. And that leader's not man. That leader is the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Christ among us. A little while and the world seeth me no more. His physical, his physical being was raised up to the throne of God where the Spirit was on the throne. Now Christ is on the throne, Jesus. A little while and the world seeth me no more. Yet ye shall see me for I'll be with you to the end of the world even in you. 
The throne of God, of Christ, is erected into your heart and he's sitting on God's throne. But in the millennium, he sits on his own throne. Which he swore that he would, he raised up this man, his son, David's son, to sit on his throne. Now it's true. God does have a throne on on earth and that's in the throne of his people but that does not negate or do away with the throne of God and the throne of grace now so that just simply means that you are an extension of his kingdom that's why you are here to operate in his name and his name cast Satan out now the throne of Christ is erected in your heart. He's sitting on God's throne. But in the millennium, he sits on his own throne. Now we get a little picture of what the throne of Jesus is. It's the millennial throne. It's where that he will reign with his bride, the bride and the groom, for a thousand years. And as a man, rule the earth. Amen. What a wonderful time that's going to be. I don't know what you're thinking about, but you know, it's not going to be full of boredom. There's so many wonders that is laying in there that it's almost indescribable to tell you. I tell you, you don't want to miss it. You want to do everything you can not to be those dilatory, lazy bunch of foolish virgins. Say, well, I'll be a foolish virgin. Well, that's pretty foolish, I think. Amen. You, You want to be ready to go to meet the Lord. Now, so when he leaves the throne, though he is when, when his redeeming work is over with, as long as he's on that throne, is everybody with me? Then he's still working as redeemer. And he has to work as redeemer until our bodies are changed because it's called the redemption of the body, which is the work of Christ, his work. Of redemption on the flesh. Now, in the third seal, Brother Branham said, and we went back, and the kinsman redeemer picked him up to see what his work was last, what his work was. And now, for all these years, Christ has been doing the kinsman redeemer work all of these years. Now, understand that. Say amen. He has been doing the work of kinsman redeemer, but there will come a time when the redeeming work will be over. And when the redeeming work is over, then he leaves the throne of God. Where he's seated now, but that's not his throne. So now let's get it straight now. He leaves the throne when the redeeming work is over. And where he is seated now, but that's not his throne. He that overcometh shall sit with me in my throne as I've overcome and sat down with my father on my father's throne. That is not his throne. That belongs to Spirit God, Christ the Lamb. It doesn't belong to him. He is the incarnate God, which is the same God made incarnate. So now what you're seeing, of course, in Revelation 4 and 5 is really a drama of, of the events of redemption. It's not a moment twinkling eye event. So we see him sometimes, it's the same God, but now we see God, then he's symbolized as a lamb. God's no lamb. He doesn't have seven horns, seven eyes. He is not a woolly creature. He doesn't have hooves. 
That's not who he is. That's symbolic of his redeeming work. That's not a second God. That's the God on the throne became a man for the work of redemption. All right? Now, so do you see, uh, it, then again, let's, read, let's continue this quote. Um, and the, the elder called, said, a lion, a lion hath prevailed. But when he come and looked, it was a lamb coming out from the throne. Now, he had never noticed that before. Why? He had been back in, in there doing his mediatorial work. He, for he was bleeding for the people, intercessing for the people. Watch now. What's these key words? Until, everybody say until, the last soul that was put on the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world come in. Now, not was just born on earth, even though that would leave a lot of you out. Because, you know, many people are putting 1963 as the day when mercy was over. So, you, you know, many of you was now not even born at that time. So you wouldn't even have a chance. I was born in 54, but even then, I wasn't, I wasn't a full-fledged, born-again, Holy Ghost-filled Christian. So I wasn't even there. See, so what you do when you go with some of these ideas, and you take mercy away at a certain day and a certain time, I'll tell you when mercy be over, you'll know it when your body's changed. And it won't happen until the last one whose name is on this book has been dipped in blood. Amen. Notice, until the last soul that was put on the Lamb's book of life before the foundation will come in. There's just going to be so many of them there and that's it. That's all. The others won't even want to come in. They have no desire to come in. And so then, what's now these words? Then, say then. When that last soul comes in, then the time of redemption is finished. Then the lamb comes forth to claim his rights to what he has redeemed. And that's all creation, the earth, and everything belongs to him. See, he's redeemed it with his own blood. And when he's come forth to take this book to open it, why? My, John didn't weep anymore. And he looked, and this lamb was a slain lamb. It had already been killed, but it was alive again. And now we find out that a slain lamb is a bloody lamb. Bleeding all over it, it had been slain. After it had been slain, it was raised up again, was sitting on the throne, say back behind the throne like this, interceding for all of those souls that would come in. Then when the last one was here and it was completed, see, the God still held the book of redemption, see? Now he's just doing the kinsman work now. Until, like Boaz went down, Ruth was just sitting there waiting until Boaz. I mean, Boaz done the kinsman redeeming work. You remember me not preaching that here not long ago? Uh, Ruth gleaning and Ruth, whatever she did, and on down. And the last thing was Ruth waiting. You remember how I typed it for the church? While Boaz goes down to do the kinsman redeeming work, he did it. Kicked off his shoe, made a testimony, redeemed Naomi, and through there got Ruth. Amen. Now, remember, the church has been through the deciding part. Somebody help me. Amen. Ruth deciding. Ruth gleaning and working through sanctification. That was Wesley. 
Amen. Until this day, we are resting. Amen. We are resting. That's what the Holy Ghost is. A rest. That's the measure he gives us. Is the Holy Ghost a down payment on the change of our body and the entire inheritance. Are you with me now? So, so again, we are now resting while he is doing the kinsman work. Amen. Now, so Ruth is just waiting because she has already labored. She's already done these other things, but she was waiting. And then when the church is waiting, resting, many of them, most of them in the dust of the earth while he's doing his kinsman redeemer work. Now, the world is still getting, going worse and worse. Sin heaping up and sickness and trouble and death and sorrow. The godless men and godless women die right down. Cancer eats them up, everything else, when they can't appropriate enough faith to reach out there and take a hold of it. Now, notice, but then after it was all over, after his interceding work, his interceding was done, he comes forth takes the book out of the hand of him. And then John, everything in heaven, the souls in the altar, begin screaming. We get that in the sixth seal, how they rejoiced and fell down. And the elders and poured out the prayers of the saints and the souls in the altar cried, worthy are you because you have redeemed us to God and we're going back to earth to live as kings and priests. Hallelujah. What are we going as kings and priests for? Because it was then we will rule and reign over the earth in the millennial reign. Hallelujah. Now, so let's go down to the first seal. And let's just talk about it. Because here's where we are. We're in a time where the kingdom still belongs to Satan. I don't care how you figure it. The kingdom here on this world, of this world still belongs to Satan. And fact of the matter is, it's not going to get better for the world. It's going to get worse for the world. When the bride goes up, as shown in Revelation 12, Satan is cast down. And he becomes full king of the earth. And he has a short time that he's going to reign. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. That's all he'll reign. But right now, the kingdom, so these worlds, still belong to Satan. That's why you cannot put confidence in politics kingdoms of this world it'll all fall apart it's all it is all under the dominion of sin he still got this part in his hand because why it's redeemed by christ but he's doing the part of kinsman redeemer taking his subject until the last name is put on that book has already received it and been sealed away now you get it then He comes from the throne, his throne, his father's throne, walks forward, takes the book out of God's hand from the throne and claims his right. And the first thing he does is call for his bride. Now this calling for his bride is not just a spiritual gathering. It is the corporal coming. And the first thing he does is call for his bride. Notice, then what does he take? He takes his opponent, Satan, and binds him and casts him into the lake, into the fire out there with all that followed him, which that's the ultimate end of Satan on the end of, on the other side of the millennial reign. Now, 
So let's look again at the sixth seal. Then Father poured down the oil, Holy Spirit of oil upon them. That they might be placed in the servants of the Lord God. That they may be workers in this last day, evil day. Don't you love to hear Brother Branham pray? For we realize we have just a short time. And the church might go at any time. The lamb might at any time lead the sanctuary up there. Or the throne of sacrifice. And come forth from the throne of God. Where the sacrifice laid. And then... It's over. There's no more hope for the world. She's finished. Then she goes in frustration and spasms of earthquakes and great shaking like it was at the resurrection. And as Christ rose from the grave, when the saints rise, the same thing will take place, Lord. It could be any minute. We're watching for that glad day to arrive. Amen. So now notice Notice what he says, then it's over. When he leaves that throne of sacrifice, it's over. And then the world goes into frustrations. Then earthquakes break out. Then the resurrection takes place. Now, friends, it's going to be a dreadful day. You ain't going to have no place to hide. They, 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 will, they will call for the rocks and the mountains to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the moment, the moment that redemption is over for the Gentiles, then he begins to pour out his wrath upon the earth, upon those who have rejected that atonement and that blood and that mercy, because no more is there a ring of blood to protect the earth. No more. It'll break into, into heaves. I mean, the scripture after scripture that tells you the mountains will cleave in two and they'll break apart and islands will flee away. There'll be all kinds of havoc everywhere that will take place. Let me tell you, when this bride leaves, no, they won't miss us. Not a minute. They won't miss us. They won't realize we're even gone. Because there'll be every kind of thing begin to break out on the earth because Satan will be cast down. And the bride will go up. And then every kind of judgment after judgment after judgment begins to strike the earth. That's when you'll find mercy is over. Right now there's mercy. Now, let's just, let's just deviate just for a minute. I've got a reason for bringing this quote in. This is from Seed of Discrepancy. And Brother Branham says in this message, he's laying something down, and, and I'm picking it up, a fundamental portion in another quote here in a moment. He says, now this is harvest time. At the beginning... When God sowed his seed upon the earth and gave it in the hearts of his children, his family to keep that word, that was their only defense. Keep that word. That's our defense today. Here come the enemy in and broke that barrier by sowing the seed of discrepancy contrary to the word of God. 
If that was discrepancy in the beginning, it's still. Anything that I add, anything to the word of God is still see the discrepancy. I don't care where it comes from. If it's from organization, if it's from military sources, if it's from political powers, anything that's contrary to the word of God is see the discrepancy. And when a man stands and says he's a gospel preacher, and he says that the days of miracles is past, that is see the discrepancy. When a man stands and says he is a minister, a pastor of a church somewhere, and does not believe that Jesus Christ is the same in every detail. Watch now. Say it with me. Every detail. Except the physical body. The corporal body. Amen. Same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the seed of discrepancy. So he's the same in every detail except his physical body. So he's healer, deliverer, savior, everything that he is. He's the same. His attitude toward the sick is the same. Amen. The attitude toward the lost is the same. He is the same in every detail. All right. Except the physical body. Same yesterday, today, and forever. That's seed of discrepancy. When he says miracles and apostolic ages past, that is seed of discrepancy. When they say there's no such thing as divine healing, that's seed of discrepancy. And the world is full of it. It crowds out and chokes out the wheat. We notice the first sower of seed of discrepancy was branded the devil. And we know it was in Genesis 1. We find out, and over here in the book of Matthew, 13th chapter, Jesus still brands any discrepancy to his word as being the devil as being the devil, and this 1956, which he's in 65, but so he, he's just you know, turned his letter, his numbers around. In, in 1956, anything that sows discrepancy contrary to the written word of God. Now, the way mercy is preached in many places today, you'd have to rip out the whole book of Hebrews. Because Paul's gospel shows that Christ was there atoning and in the seat of mercy and had made that place approachable. And we got men today won't put up other veils of tradition, their own ideas that makes God unapproachable unless you come through their group. Now, so anything contrary to the word of God, any private interpretation to it is seed of discrepancy. God will not honor it. He can't. It won't. It won't mix. It certainly will not. It's like mustard seed. It won't mix with anything else. You can't hybrid it. It's got to be the genuine thing, seed of discrepancy. Now, I told you I was reading that quote for this. Let's read this one. It wasn't so from the beginning. Now, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Can we agree with that? You believe him to be the same, the same in principle, same in power. The only thing different tonight, he's using your flesh and my flesh. Because his flesh sat at the right hand of the throne of God in majesty, in glory. So the only thing different 
is God's not here overcoming in Jesus. He's overcoming in you. He's not here healing the sick with the man Christ Jesus. He's healing the sick. You lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. You take the word and apply it. He that overcometh shall sit with me on my throne as I've overcome and sat down on my father's throne. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Jesus Christ, the son of God, sitting in the heavens and all these mortal souls that are just under the altar look up and see that body sitting there, that corporal body. He said, oh, I feel religious. That corporal body, you notice down in Egypt, they gave a corporal body, Joseph which was a type of Jesus in every manner. That corporal body laid there and every Israelite beaten in the back and stripped from or striped from the uh, Egyptians and walked down there and looked into that casket and saw that tomb. There lay Joseph's body and know that someday they would go out there and they were going out and when that body raised from that tomb and they packed it out, they were going out with it. Now, Brother Brandon's laying a principle. He said, in that exodus, they kept looking at the body of Joseph. Because they knew those bones had to be taken out. And when, those, when they left, that, that casket was going with them. They would walk by it and say, one day. Just like we do at the empty tomb. One day, every tomb's going to be empty. Because he lives, we shall live also. One day, every tomb's going to be empty. But now, that's, here's what he's talking about here. Because I, I run several quotes on it. And he's, he's talking about the saints there. Those souls there. They are looking toward the throne. And they're looking at that body. The body of Jesus. And he says, watch, that's the same way it is in heaven. Those souls crying under the altar, how long, Lord, how long? They're like the Athenies there. But now they're looking to that corporal body of the Son of God sitting there. Someday he will rise from that throne. We're talking about our brothers and sisters that are there. Come on, somebody. That are already there waiting for us. You know, Brother Branham said they have anticipation of coming back to the earth with excitement. They said, one day we're going to go back to earth again and take up bodies. We can't wait to go there and they can't wait to come here. You talk about a reunion. We're right here on the cusp of it. The dead in Christ shall rise first. But notice, he says, he said they, same way it is in heaven. They're looking to that corporal body of the Son of God sitting there. Someday he'll rise from that throne. There you are. Then they that are, them that are in Christ, will God bring with him at the resurrection. This mortal will take on immortality. And then we'll be like him and we will see him as he is. Eat the wedding supper with him and all forever be with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? I say, isn't that wonderful? Amen. As far as I, uh, you know, we can talk, we can spiritualize the coming of the Lord until we do away with the corporal coming. But they said, one day, Jesus will come to us. 
and then we will go together. Amen. So, you know, if the dead in Christ has not risen, he hadn't come to them yet. See, you know, he, he ain't even halfway there. Somebody helping me out? Amen. You said, well, Brother Tim, uh, you know, he, he's, he's already left the throne. Listen, uh, heaven is my throne. So if he hadn't left the heavens, he hasn't left his throne. Notice this mortal will take on immortality and we'll be like him. Now, let's go to the fourth seal. And listen, Brother Branham, this is his confession. While I believe with all my heart, how many is a believer? How many believes what Brother Branham believed? You think that would be right? Well, all my heart. Don't sound like there's any reservation about this, does it? The seat is still open. I believe he's still on the throne of God. But soon he's going to rise now and will come forth to claim what he has redeemed. He's doing the work of kinsman redeemer while Ruth is waiting. But soon, you know, after Boaz done the kinsman work, then he come and claimed his possession. And that's exactly what the Bible said he'd done. He come forth, took the book, then intercessions over. He's off the throne. There is no more blood on the mercy seat. And then what is it? Judgment seat. Don't let it be said. Some of these days, I thought the rapture was supposed to come. And hear the voice say, it's in the past. God help you. Now, church, here, here, we're, here we're looking at, don't let it say, he ties this whole thing in with the rapture. And we're not talking about a spiritual coming. We're talking about a corporal coming. Now, let's go to the seventh scene. Our heavenly father, here comes the great night, the great hour that when the great thing has happened, it's been all around the people. And father, I pray that Tonight, that that'll be made known beyond a shadow of doubt to these people's heart and mind that they know that God is still on the throne. And that he still loves his people. And it's the hour the world is long to see is now approaching for it cries out for redemption. Hallelujah. That's why we're gathered here this morning. It's because we are gathering out. We are crying out for redemption. God, finish this up. God, bring the dead in Christ. God, change these bodies. God, wind this all up. Finish the work. But tonight, may it then be made known beyond a shadow of a doubt. And to the heart, people's hearts and mind that they will know that God is still on the throne. Hallelujah. Now, the opening of the seals did not do away with the mercy seat. It unveiled the mercy seat. Removing the traditions of man, the doctrines that are based on theory and not scriptural, That's what traditions are. That failed God from the people and brought the mercy seat in the plain view and revealed that he's not three people, but one God. Is that right? Now, it didn't didn't reveal he was two lords either. It revealed he was one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, we spoke about Jack Cole last week, and I'm not going to talk about him in his life, but I just want to say about him. You know, after, after the veil was pulled back by the prophet of God, and he saw in there that there was a mercy seat, and that Christ was the healer. You know, he went running away from there with his own divine healing um, him, uh, movement. And, you know, but he didn't look long enough. Somebody with me? He didn't look long enough at the atonement. If he would have looked at the atonement, stayed there and looked long enough without just running out with just the message of divine healing and building a little kingdom, he would have saw the Godhead. He would have seen water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. He would have seen the woman's seed, the serpent bruiser. And could have traced the Antichrist all the way down because of the serpent bruiser. He would have seen him on the mercy seat. He would have seen eternal security and predestination. He would have seen the bride's time and the bride's light. But he didn't stay long enough. He got a glimpse. And he got impressed that God's a healer. Oh, it impressed this man so much. As I said, he'd take an anvil and beat people's glasses there before he prayed for them. Take an axe and chop their, their crutches. He had bold faith. Because he got a glimpse. Now, all I'm saying, if this man got so inspired by just seeing that much, just getting that little tiny glimpse, what ought to inspire our hearts this morning? When the whole mercy seat comes into plain view. When the veil of all traditions have been wiped away and brings in Christ the healer, Christ the Savior. Amen. The Christ, the one who will rapture us. All of these things seek Christ in, in his fullness. That's what the message is to do for you. Now, the mighty God unveiled. Brother Bradham said, when the veil was rent in Calvary, the mercy seat came in plain view. But what happened is, was hanging on Calvary, drip, dipping, in, dripping in blood. As they took the blood, year after year, at the cleansing of the sanctuary and the sprinkling of the mercy seat there. God, with his great mighty stroke of lightning power, split the old badger's veil from top to bottom and mercy seat came into plain view. The real genuine Lamb of God was hanging in plain view on Calvary. The real mercy seat. And when the veil of tradition is taken away, what are you going to see? Not a substitute lamb. Come on. Not a woolly lamb. Not a substitute. Not a partial truth. But you're going to see the whole Christ, the whole word come into plain view. Amen. See the real mercy seat. When God had paid the price himself and become one of us and manifested himself as a man to get acquainted with us. And we are to be acquainted with him. The mercy seat was in plain view of all Israel on that day of the atonement. But, uh, but alas, the traditions of the church fathers in that day had by their traditions had veiled the true mercy seat from the people. 
If they would have known the scripture, each piece would have come like the Chinese tag. You know, in other words, two parts would have come together. The scripture and the prophecy coming together. The Old Testament prophecy would have been fulfilled, and it was. And if they had been taught the scripture, they would have seen the mercy seat, as Moses said here, that to this day they're veiled, and it's still over their hearts, and they don't see it. So you see, you see again, as he said, alas, the traditions of the church fathers by their traditions. Now, we're going to get to it in a minute, but friends, this is what has happened. Men have just put up another veil. God will rip the veil and men will put up another. But if you don't come out from behind that veil of tradition and see the real mercy seat and come in the presence of God and become the temple of the living God, you're going to be left behind in this age. Now, this prophetic gift of this end time prophet, he was constantly pulling back the veil, the curtain of the veil. He was letting us see the high priest. He was letting us see. Look, he would, he would pull it back and say, all right, there's Ephesus and Smyrna, Sardis, right down, Laodicea. Here are the messengers. This was Christ, the seven spirits of God, anointing seven men, right down through seven eight. What was that prophet doing? Pray, pulling back the veils to show what the kinsmen had been doing. To show that the kinsmen work was in full effect. Notice, he, would let, he was constantly pulling back the veil to let us see the high priest and not just see him, but be able to touch him so we could draw virtue from him. Oh, can you imagine those um, whose, whose veil has stopped the view of Christ? As intercessor and point away from the original atonement today. Can you imagine that? They deny he's the high priest. They deny him being the only place of worship. Remember, his worship is in him, not her. Amen. Now, yeah, in the bride is, is, is where you find true worship. Because you'll find the people in the bride, in the body of Christ, worshiping him. The bride is not the object of worship. Christ is the object of worship. Amen. Amen. He is the head. She's the body. Amen. And Christ is the only chosen place of worship. Not some group called the bride. People want to say, well, our group's the bride, so we're the chosen place of worship. That's nothing more than Nicolaitanism and another denomination raising up. Another false prophet pointing to himself. Putting up another veil in front of the people. When the veil is ripped away, you won't see a group. You won't see a certain church. You'll see Jesus. Amen. You'll see him in his power. You'll see him in his glory. You'll see him as a healer, as a deliverer. They deny he's a high priest. And that they and not him is the chosen place of worship. And that they are now the seed of mercy. So in order, there's no mercy there to go. So to get it, you got to come to us. 
making the bride the mediator between God and man, which is Catholicism. Our approach to God is not through a church. It's not by belonging to the church. You cannot belong to the bride of Christ. You have to be born into it. Amen. You need to, you have to become a part of him, not her. Amen. Now, so in seated discrepancy, Brother Branham would tell us uh, this. Let's just, let's just see this little quote. And he, he points out that Jesus right now is a high priest. You can see it here. Right there. How many Christians here tonight that know, according to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that Jesus right now is a high priest. The high priest that can be touched by the feelings of our infirmity. How many believe that? Amen. Oh, is he? All right. If he's the same high priest, same office, high priest. How would he act then? He would act just the same as he did then. So I want you to notice, Brother Branham points out, he's the same high priest, the same office. So he, he, is, he is not, listen, he will be king in the millennium and reign as son of David. But right now, when we see him, we do not see him as king. We see him as intercessor, lamb, he is not lying now. He will be that in the tribulation, pouring out his wrath and, and, and becoming the king and coming as king of kings and lord of lords. And don't go and spiritualize Revelation 19 because it is not a spirit, just a spiritual happening. It is a corporal coming when the bride and Christ come back to the earth to take it over again. Amen. Amen. Where that the word will then have preeminence over the earth. Right now, Satan is the king of the earth. That's why we have blind babies. That's why we have deaf ears. That's why we have sickness. That's why we have death. That's why we have sorrow and rape and robbery and everything else. It's because Satan is king. But I got news for you. His kingdom is coming to an end. I got news for you. That, hey, hallelujah. Not only is his kingdom coming in, but you have been called to tear Satan's kingdom down. Hallelujah. The ministry in this day has been called to cast Satan out. He's a high priest. Same high priest. Same office. Now, after preaching on who is this Melchizedek, he would, he would tell us, he declared that Melchizedek could be touched. He preaches a whole sermon on this king-priest, king-priest. He was king of Salem, priest of the whole, most high God. And he shows him there, who is this? Who is this Melchizedek? Who is this high priest? Right. Who is the one present here? Right. Who is it that's here among us? It's Melchizedek. Now notice, and he comes to the end and he shows, he goes to reveal Melchizedek, the high priest. Because remember, Jesus could not enter this holy place as a Levite. He could only do it in the order of Melchizedek. Notice, 
If God will reveal to me your trouble, will you accept him as your atonement for that trouble? So atonement is still being accepted and applied right here in 1965 in who is this Melchizedek. I don't know what your trouble is, but I know and you know that something's going on. Now let me just tell you how you're feeling and then you know a real warm, sweet, comfortable feeling. I'm looking right straight at, that, at it. It's that light, amber light hanging from the woman. The woman's suffering with trouble in her, in her stomach. It's kind of gross like in her stomach. She's not from here. Sister says, right. No, you're from away from here, aren't you? That's right. You're from Wisconsin. Is that right? Now you're healed. Your faith has made you whole. Now, tell me who the woman touched. I'm 25 yards from her. She touched Jesus Christ, the high priest. She didn't touch a lion. She was touching the lamb. She was touching him in his present office as high priest. Amen. Do you believe that? So what was God doing by sending this message? The message was restoring to us the same high priest and a seed of mercy that Paul preached. So you see, this, this is what he did. He would restore God's message in this last day, would restore or bring back into view the same high priest and the same seed of mercy that Paul preached. Now, let's go back to Matthew twenty-seven fifty. Y'all bear with me, the, the day is young. Okay, you're not, but you're going where you'll never grow old. And right now, you need to get into a place where this never grows old. I know, I know we got our quotes today on how long we're to preach and whatever, but somehow we conveniently miss those. Brother Brandon said we need a six-hour sermon every once in a while. Just to get us out of our formality. You didn't know he said that one, did you? Well, I have never done it. And we won't start today. Somebody ought to shout it hallelujah. <laughs> Matthew 27, 5. Jesus, when he cried, had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent and twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And actually, the next verse, which I don't have it in front of you, tells us the graves were open. The tearing of the veil at the moment of Jesus' death dramatically symbolized that his sacrifice, the shedding of his own blood, was a sufficient atonement. It signified that now the way had been made in the holies of holies and it was open for all people, for both Jews and Gentiles. But no doubt they got to work right away just sewing the thing back up or making a new one. No doubt they they put another one up after that was rent. The veil that hid God from the eyes of the people, even today, they immediately remember, Paul would say, there's a veil over their eyes that when the Old Testament is read, that they don't understand the Scripture. So there's even a spiritual veil over the eyes that this, this veil just symbolized. Paul said to Jews, that, as I said, when Moses was read, there's a veil over their face. 
Same is true today. The veil of tradition closes the minds and the hearts to the truth of the word so that when the New Testament is read, they're blinded to its promises. The true church started out, it began with a written veil and a free access to the throne of grace. There were no novenas needed, no penance required, no rosary, no Hail Marys, no preacher with an exclusive doctrine that says you can only get it through me. It all went well for a while. But eventually, Nicolaitanus came in. Denomination, the rule of man, that seed of discrepancy we read about. Man's interpretation kept the word and its mercy seat from becoming into plain view. But under the Laodicean messenger, the mercy seat comes back into plain view. The bride returns back to the original atonement. Now let's, let's just look at this again in the Feast of the Trumpets. Between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, there is a prophet to appear before the Gentiles to call a people back to the original Pentecostal doctrine. So this is what his job is. Call us back to the original Pentecostal doctrine. Again, he tells us in Revelation 11, call their ministry will be the ministry of Moses and Elias to call them to Israel out of the Jewish tradition. The seventh angel's message called the bride out of Pentecostal tradition. Remember Moses and Elijah is to call people out of old atonement of the lamb and sheep and blood and goats and sacrifice to the real living sacrifice to the word. Now this word brings you a real living sacrifice. And the seventh angel message under the same trumpet, same everything, same seal, is to what? Call the people, the bride out of Pentecostal and world traditions, and not just Pentecostal, but Pentecostal and world tradition to the genuine atonement, the word. That's the purpose of this message. Call you back to the mercy seat. Call you back to the blood. Call you back to the high priest. To reveal the high priest, not some denomination. And it rips, the message rips the veil of tradition. So you can see his present office. Now, any revelation that does not point to a living Christ, the real living sacrifice, is a false tradition and is worthless to save you as as a, or to heal as a goose or duck atonement. Brother Branham would talk about, they would be called out, you know, and, and see that, that geese and duck would no longer atone for sin. And, and that never was an atonement. It's worthless. And so are all these creeds that have been put up. They're worthless for an atonement. That's why churches are sitting dead today. That's why young people are not getting filled with the Holy Ghost and old alike. That's why they get an intellectual confession instead of heartfelt religion. That's why, that's why that they're, they're steeped in religion and religious sin and people are going right on living in their sin. Signal message pews is because they're, they're only seeing the, 
the, through a veil of tradition and are not seeing the mercy seat. The mercy is there. Grace is free. Amen. That there's a pardon for sin. Now, I want you to look what happened with Jack Coe. We mentioned him last Sunday, and the well, Sunday before, and this Sunday, and I'm not senile. Look what happened with Jack Coe. The curtain of tradition. That thick veil of denominational theory was lifted up just enough for Jack to see the mercy seat. In other words, by seeing that, that blind boy who had no eyeballs and eyeballs form in his head in three days and he comes seeing like the prophet said. That pulled the veil off for Jack Coe and he saw Christ the healer. Amen. He, he got a glimpse of Christ as a healer. But he didn't look long enough to see what we see. He just got a glimpse. Now, it so impressed him with his glimpse. Like I said, he could look at a can of tomatoes and say, oh, the blood of Jesus, and shout and scream because of that forgiveness of sins. I wonder today what Calvary means to people. I wonder if they're sufficiently impressed that their heart is stirred to think of the blood, to think of the power of Christ, to think of his resurrection, to say, oh, God, do it again. Amen. To say, God, come down in our church. Come down in our service. Amen. Let our service be dripping with blood. Let the blood get over us. Listen, church, we're not vultures. We are eagles. And a real eagle, he eats a live meat. And when he rips, the heart is beating of his victim and blood sprays. And he gets covered by the blood. I wonder in many of our churches if we're not vulturizing down. Because when we tear it open, there ain't no blood flows out. There ain't no Holy Ghost moves. There's no shout of the king in the midst. There's no joy of your salvation. We become dead and dry. Formal. Powerless. Like we was warned not to become. Laodiceans, lukewarm, formal, and powerless, faithless people. Brother, when we come in a service like this, it ain't to vulturize down on something that was given some years back. It's for that word to become fresh to you. Amen. Amen. I, I, I know, I know, you know, the, 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 this. We get, we get down to place, we want a little formal religion. We want to do our little church and go home. We should never leave this place until the power of God has come down and the blood has flowed. Amen. And the Holy Ghost has moved and sinners have wept their way to Calvary. And people are healed and delivered and the joy stirs in the heart. Amen. Jack didn't really look long enough. I wonder what would happen if we got a look behind the veil. 
And Christ came into clear view. Wonder what would happen. I wonder, I wonder if we are experiencing the effect this message was to produce. For Jack, it had an effect. He went out from there with faith, not faithless. He went out from there with power, not powerless. Oh, you know, we can criticize and say, well, he was reckless with his faith. I'd rather have reckless faith than no faith. I'd rather people, you know, Brother Bradham said, I'm more afraid of somebody who is afraid of becoming a fanatic than I'm afraid of the fanatic. Amen. Brother Branham told us, you know, to stay balanced. But he told us if we're going to err, err on the side of fanaticism, not formalism. Because he said, I'd rather you have wildfire than no fire. Wildfire is just something that's out of control. Amen. But, but brother... We, we, got a, we got enough church orders and people who, who want to implement it to keep it all in control. Don't worry about it. We got enough wet blankets to put out a, a wildfire. Yeah, we got enough. People bring their wet blankets. Shut down, Brother Tim, certain times. Shut down. Can't you preach like so-and-so? I wasn't called to preach like so-and-so. Amen. I was called to send forth the evening light. To preach the word of God. To preach it without fear, without favor. Amen. To call heaven down. Amen. To say hell is hot and heaven is high. Amen. I, I tell you, we, we need to get out of our lukewarm condition and get in the place we're impressed with the word that's in our midst. Hallelujah. God pulled the veil back. Amen. You leave the word, you leave God. Amen. I'm, I'm trying to get this. But listen, look at this next quote, and it's right down in the middle. If you want deity in your midst, how many wants deity in the midst? Then welcome and receive the word. Don't let anyone or anything get between you and that word. Amen. Welcome and receive the word. The next Next paragraph says, I wonder if we're simply sufficiently impressed with the word in our midst. And now, Jack got impressed with his little look. And I'm saying, we're standing here and saying, but it's wide open. The veil is, is rent. The way is made. And then I'm saying, then we ought to be impressed with the word in our midst. And we ought to welcome that word. Receive it as true. He said, I am the Lord God that healeth thee of all thy diseases. I accept that as true. You are my healer. You are my deliverer. You are my savior. Come on, somebody. Amen. We've seen it work. We know what God does. Amen. When you, get a, when you get a look into the mercy seat. 
Oh, hallelujah. You remember, you remember that service when, when we were singing, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? And that, that mercy seat came open to little sister Lana and around this church she ran. Goes back the next day with a clear scan. Healed of her cancer. That's what happens when you get a glimpse of the mercy seat. Amen. Oh, brother, but there's more than a glimpse for you. You can see him in his power. You can see him in his glory. You can see him in all that he is. He is the mighty conqueror. Oh, hallelujah. My, this message was sent to turn us back to faith. Amen. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to go down just a little bit. So we can get to some of this this morning. I just want to just share just a few words. Brother Branham would tell us in the church age book. That's uh, page 156. It's way down. I've skipped down a number of quotes. In this very age, every age, we have exactly the same pattern. That's why the light comes through some God-given messenger in a certain age, area. And then from... That messenger there spreads the light to the ministry of others who have been faithfully taught. Amen. Now this is how it was to come. It was to come to the messenger. And then from that messenger spreads the light through the ministry of others. This is Brother Branham's formula. It's not the formula of some, some veil, those who wants to put up a veil today and say that, that's all past and all fulfilled. But this is Brother Branham's teaching. This is what we've returned back to. God sends the light, and then from that messenger there spreads the light through the ministry of others who have been faithfully taught. But of course, all those who go out don't always learn how necessary it is to speak only what the messenger has spoken. Mm -hmm. What's now? Look at the next one. All right, Paul warned the people to say only what he said. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. What came the word of God out from you or came it to you only? They add here or take away there and soon the message is no longer pure and the revival dies down. How careful we must be to hear one voice for the spirit has given but one voice which is the voice of God God warned Paul warned them to say what he said even as Peter did likewise he warned them that even he Paul could not change one word of what he had given by given by revelation Oh, how important it is to hear the voice of God by the way of his messenger and then say what has been given them to say to the churches. Now, I want you to understand this. Here's what, here's important. Hear what the messenger said. But then there are to be others who say. Now play a tape. But say what he said. They're to preach what he said. But these veil of traditions look in here and say, well, you know, there's no, no more ministry. 
Now, but what happens? They add here, they take away here. The message is no longer pure, and the revival dies down. Now, here, here's, here's our trouble. Why is it we got a... Why is it we got churches full of backslidden, cold members? Why is it that instead of Pentecostal grandkids, we got message grandkids? Why is it we got church joiners instead of those that are really filled with the Holy Ghost? Why is it that they just believed the message and accepted a philosophy and never met the high priest? Never come in his presence? Why, why is it that divine healing isn't among the people. Why isn't Christ and him crucified being preached and the resurrection being preached and now the rapture is so spiritualized until we don't even look for the corporal coming? I'm just going to say it. Why is it that we want today? We want to take away the deity of Christ. Look at the attack on the head. Take away the deity of Christ and say he was just a man. And he was a minor God under God. So we got two lords. How in the world could you take this message when he tells us the supreme deity of Jesus Christ? You can't get to first base until you believe in the supreme deity of Jesus Christ. How is it? How is it that we come and we turn around and we make the bride the chosen place of worship where only Christ is the chosen place of worship but now belonging to a certain group or club that's got a certain revelation we become the God's chosen place of worship and you got to come to us to worship. Why is it? Why is it after God commissioned a prophet to preach the seven thunders that we had to have another would-be apostle to stand up and say, and say, but I got the clarity of it. Why is it? Why is it that we, that we come here? Because they add here and take away there. And soon the message is no longer pure and the revival dies down. So the first thing you know, people are not having an Acts 2 experience. They have a psychology experience. They just intellectually agree that this message is right. Brother Branham called them sympathizers. They're professors without a possession. Why is it that people are not sufficiently? Why is there an emptiness on the inside of them? That they run here and go there and run here and go there and cannot find the satisfying portion. Why is it? Now, so Brother Branham said, they add here, they take away, soon the message is no longer pure, and the revival dies down. And we look, and we see revival dying down. That's not what's supposed to happen. This is, this message is the revival. Amen. 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 Now, Remember, in the divine healing revival, there was many people looked at that and they weren't impressed. It never changed them and they still went away with the veil of tradition over their eyes. Days of miracles are past. Amen. But there were some who looked in and they got impressed. I'm wondering if we have been impressed with the word in our midst. 
Are you with me? Now, so now here's my point. It looks to me like if we just will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and take the message and keep it pure without adding to it and taking from it, then the revival, instead of dying down, will be flamed into a roaring fire. Amen. Therefore, spreading the light to all the world so the end can come. That's what I'm going to say today. God, take that traditions away that says the days of miracles are past. That says the day of Pentecost is over with. We have been returned back to the original Pentecostal doctrine with the original Pentecostal Holy Ghost. Let me just say it this way. If we're returned to the original atonement, it was made at Calvary, but it was applied on the day of Pentecost. Amen. If you want to see how it's still be applied, then it applies just exactly the way that it happened at Pentecost. Where the pillar of fire comes in like a rushing mighty wind and everybody receives a portion of it. Amen. Amen. How many of you this morning say, God, I want my portion of it. Give me a double portion of it. I want to look beyond the veil. I want to see you in your glory. I want to see you as healer, deliverer, savior, everything you are. Amen. I want to see a bride standing in her power. Who knows who she is? Who stands there in righteousness and in purity. Amen. Listen, traditions will bind. Traditions will bind. World Council of Churches binding. There's a binding going on. And even Brother Brandon said the Holy Spirit has been bound for 2,000 years. But he said, oh, listen, this is the good news. But it's being loosed by the evening time message. Amen. Here God sends a prophet in this last day to release to you the evening time message. The Holy Spirit has been bound in these denominational rivers for almost 2,000 years. But it's been loose in the evening time by the evening time message. The Holy Spirit back in the church again. Christ himself revealed in human flesh in the evening time. He said it. He promised it. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Give me that next quote on that one. Listen, the mighty God in Baal, he has broken every denominational veil, every sound barrier. That sound that said, oh, that's fanaticism. He broke right through that. Amen. That sound that come out of there and said, oh, them people are crazy. He broke right through that veil. Yes, he did. Oh, you can't do it. You're nothing but a bunch of fanatics. He broke right through that. No such thing as divine healing. He broke right through that. Oh, my. For his word said he would. You can't conquer the word of God. Hallelujah. You can't conquer the word of God. He's broken every barrier, every veil, every veil. Nothing get out of his presence. And when people, oh, here we are. When people get hungry in their heart, there's a veil ready to be broke. You can just depend on that. Rim every veil by his great Holy Spirit. And here he stands tonight, the mighty conqueror. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, healing the sick, baptizing the believers, just as he always did. He's the mighty conqueror. Oh, watch now. Doomed devils are on the run. Doomed devils are on the run. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. They always are when he's around. Oh, let's 
invite the high priest. Let's invite his blood. Let's have the mighty conqueror in our midst, leading in the battle. Amen. With doomed devils on the run. Amen. You right behind them, whipping them with the word of God, slaying every giant, pulling down every stronghold, because we are the mighty ones called of God to fight the battle in this environment. Look at him as he stands there. High priest with his own blood. Oh my. But listen, Brother Branham talks about the sound barrier. And he says, you know, if we can just, he tells me when there's a sound barrier. He said, there, you know, when a plane will break through that sound barrier. He said, it's unlimited in its power. He said, if we can only just break through that veil of tradition, amen, it's unlimited in his power. Oh, to see the unveiled God. What did Brother Branham preach to us? The mighty God veiled again? No, the mighty God unveiled. What did he preach? The veiling, the veiling of God? No, he preached the unveiling of God. What is it? God became unveiled. The mercy seat came open. Grace became known. Amen. Grace for what? Grace for a rapture. Grace for a rapture. That's what we need. We need favor in this age. We need a way of escape. We need to be favored all the, over all the other Christians. Because there's going to be millions of them in the tribulation. Multitude without number. We need to be favored over them. And be caught up before it happens. That's the grace, this message provides I'm glad to look into the mercy seat glad to see him in plain view will you stand together with me hallelujah oh friends you can try this you can try that you can run here you can run there but once you get a look at the mercy seat and get impressed with the word get impressed with the word get impressed with the Holy Spirit moving. Get impressed with Him working in our midst. Get impressed that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mercy there was great and grace for me. Let's, let's sing the song at Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride. I cared not my Lord was crucified. When I get impressed that he did it for me, I always said about Jack Cole. When he looked in there, his mama looked in there, they couldn't look at a can of tomatoes without getting excited. I wonder, does it excite you? You know, Brother Branham said this message, he said, it's kind of like an old young man in point went down to the sea. And old sea salt looked over and said, what are you doing, man? Said, well, I've come down here to look at the sea. And smell its briny waves. See it as it splashed up against the rock. See the sun as it sets across the waves. I've come to enjoy all this beauty. And the old salt said, ah, there ain't nothing to it. 
But boy, I've been around here for all these years. Ain't nothing special about this. You see, it had become common to him. This should never become common to you. It ought to be fresh and new. His mercy's new every morning. Where you look and you see mercy great and grace free. When you can look past the veil of traditions that even message preachers want to put up. Just ideas of theology. Taking this cherry picking quotes and putting it together. And you see something other than the unveiled Christ. You know what, what makes this message to me? It revealed Jesus. It came to make me know Him. So, well, I tell you, I'm going to lead the message because I'm just going to, I'm just going to believe my Bible. Well, that's always what I did. I always did believe my Bible. The message didn't cloud the Bible. The message has shown light on the Scripture. I don't need to leave the vindicated word. In order to see Jesus, I I can see him through that vindicated word because it doesn't veil you. It opens the veil. It brings it into plain view. Years I spent in vanity and pride.